Welcome to the Confluence of Ideas, the Confluence Investment Management Podcast. Today, we're going to look at how the firm arrives at asset allocation decisions from a number of standpoints, covering both philosophy and process. And in doing so, we hope we communicate the key role asset allocation plays in achieving investor goals and the importance the firm places on this aspect of investing and how Confluence Asset Management may compare with other investment managers. Our guest is Greg Elston, Chief Investment Officer for Asset Allocation for Confluence Investment Management. In that role, Greg leads the Confluence Asset Allocation Investment Committee. Greg, is there an overriding uh, philosophy that, that guides your process as you determine asset allocation for the four strategies Confluence Asset Management presents? Well, Phil, our guiding principle is that financial markets oscillate based upon macroeconomic conditions, geopolitical risks, and fundamental valuations. And those lead to opportunities for cyclical tilts and, and overall asset allocation. Now, accordingly, we, t- we extend the traditional strategic or what you might refer to decades-long allocation approach by utilizing three-year forward expectations that can adapt as risks and opportunities shift. What trends do you pay most attention to as you sit down with your committee to review asset allocation recommendations? Well, certainly macroeconomic and global geopolitical considerations are an obvious starting point. Confluence has a team of experienced professionals headed by our chief market strategist who are charged with the daily monitoring of a vast array of data. Other things are central bank influences, fiscal policies, industry and consumer sentiment, rates, valuations, credit conditions, housing, uh, labor markets, and even currency regimes all enter into the calculus of where we are in an economic cycle. The four strategies are income with growth, growth and income, growth, and aggressive growth. I notice that Confluence Asset Management does not present a pure income strategy. Why not? Well, Phil, actually, we do have an income strategy. Uh, We started that in the end of 2017, um, and it does incorporate a disciplined laddered maturity structure as its nucleus. It also incorporates our cyclical tilts um, for other asset classes, but we will not have three-year composite numbers until the end of this year, so it is not marketed aggressive. And at that time, it will show up in your quarterly reports. Precisely. Let's look at uh, the risky end of the strategy spectrum, aggressive growth. What do you mean by aggressive and how might your definition of that adjective differ from other firms? Well, (laughs) our definition of aggressive is synonymous with industry convention. Um, The risk parameters for the strategy are the widest among the array of the strategies we offer, and consequently, it has the high exposure to risk assets. That's not to say that when our expectations within our three-year cyclical outlook become guarded, that the strategy remains fully risk exposed. So therefore, I guess to directly answer your question, Phil, during periods of caution, our aggressive strategy will incorporate risk buffers. And resultingly, that's going to differ from what peers in the industry who have 10 plus year outlooks have as their aggressive strategies. One aspect you pay a lot of attention to is market cycles. Obviously, past performance is, is a guide. 
Uh, how binding is past performance when your committee determines where we might be in a, in a market cycle? When, when, might, when might you deviate from a pure focus on past performance? Let me say at the outset that it's something that has been mercilessly overstated in our industry, and that is uh, we believe that the past won't repeat, but it does often rhyme. And one can take cues from what has happened in the past and relate it to and make inferences about the likelihood for that tr to transpire in a given economic environment and going forward. So to use a current example, some in our industry hold the belief that uh, global central bank accommodations have made the economy impervious to the business cycles, and that, that it is definitely different this time. While we well, we certainly acknowledge the notion that uh, the influence of global central banks, and particularly the Fed, um, can influence the economic cycle and even extend it. We, we know that they might be able to forestall a contraction, but not eradicate the possibility. Let's focus a moment on where Confluence Asset Management may differ from other firms. Now, Confluence employs forward-looking analytics that may shift as risks and opportunities emerge. Can you give me an example of when this has happened in the past? Well, a recent example is how we've treated non-U.S. equities, Phil. For the past two years, we've had a void in them, preferring to hold our risk assets in the U.S. Well, now, every sober investment professional will rightly note that um, non-U.S. equities should be present in a strategic allocation, which is a 10-plus years long-term full market cycle. We find that over our three-year forecast, which we find to be very complementary to strategic allocations, um, over that forecast period, that the strength of the U.S. dollar will act as a headwind for U.S.-based investors. And despite compelling valuations overseas, we prefer to keep our risk assets in the U.S. until that trajectory of the U.S. dollar changes. Now, strategic allocations are designed to transcend these twists and turns, but ours are geared to finding the right risk-adjusted opportunities given the current economic conditions and market levels. Assets range from cash to bonds to real estate to equities, both domestic and foreign developed, to commodities. All of these. Within these categories, do your definitions ever change? And are there areas where they may overlap? For instance, U.S. large cap stocks and foreign developed country stocks. Let me address the first part of that, Phil, and that is as far as the asset classes, we use the same 12 asset classes that we've been using since we first started managing these strategies at a predecessor firm at the beginning of the century. Very proud to say that that has not changed. That is the essence of our construct. Um, moreover, these asset classes are intentionally discrete, thereby allowing us to produce the proper construct uh, for our forecast, whatever that forecast is at that given point in time. Now, you asked about U.S. and foreign, but we don't use global equities. We use U.S. and non-U.S. as discrete, and even within the U.S., we try to stay, as far as stocks are concerned, as, 
and bonds as well, we try to stay discreet in that context as well. Let me give you an example. The ETFs we utilize mirror particular indices. Um, Russell is very well known. The Russell 1000 is largely accepted as large cap, but within that Russell 1000, 800 of those are mid cap stocks. Therefore, if you use Russell as your index, you could find yourself way overweighted in mid-cap because Russell also has a mid-cap index. For that reason, we use S&P with their 500, mid-cap 400, small-cap 600 because they are indeed discrete segments, and therefore we can express our allocations with a fair degree of confidence. Each of the strategies presented by Confluence Asset Management carries a fairly significant weighting in commodities uh, from 10 to 12 percent. How does that category break down in terms of individual commodities? Well, Phil, at this juncture, commodities now consist exclusively of gold. While we do have the latitude to invest across the entire commodity complex, including softs, agricultural, industrial metals, um, for our current purposes, gold serves the role of a risk reduction technique. Within the stocks categories, do you ever employ individual securities? We only use ETFs, not individual stocks, in our allocation strategies. We found them to be really ideal vehicles for expressing over and underweights without, I guess, best way to describe it is creating externalities um, for other market participants. Our committee is tasked with the care about properly allocating capital for a given economic environment, which is really not that indifferent from our value equity group that looks for companies that are adept at allocating their capital. What's included in the real estate category? Well, this category is comprised completely of real estate investment trusts, or REITs, which are fairly well diversified now. Good, not only commercial and industrial and retail, but that's augmented by large exposures to things like cell towers, timber, and even data storage centers. There are so many factors to consider. Let's look before we go at the nuts and bolts of the process itself. Describe the makeup of your asset allocation committee. Well, the committee consists of seven people with an average experience of a little bit over 30 years, and that's an average experience, not aggregate. Um, among the committee, we have a real, very diverse set of backgrounds in investment management, including a former private equity specialist, a fixed income strategist, an equity analyst, an equity portfolio manager, a chief market strategist, a geopolitical analyst, as well as an asset allocation specialist. And what about the process itself? How long does it take you to come to a decision? At, well, at the beginning of every single quarter, we gather for two weeks to um, go through our forecast parameters. And each person on the, on the committee derives her or his forecast for expected return, risk, and yields for each of the 12 distinct asset classes over a 36-month forecast period. What we do is we start by fully discussing and explaining each forecast, and then the forecasts are equally rated and run through what is popularly referred to an optimizer, and which really represents the beginning or the commencement of the process, not the end result. We think it's imperative to, uh, to not rely exclusively on an algorithm because algorithms can certainly become flawed and they can give spurious results from time to time, which is the reason why we look at the output as the commencement, not the end point. The output becomes the 
focus for a lot of dialogue, deliberation, and determination of what the proper facings are for each of the strategies in the array of uh, the allocation strategies. Certainly, there must be disagreements. How do you resolve disagreements? Well, diverse views are natural and even encourage elements of, of comprehensive deliberation and determination. Um, well, while there will be disagreements on occasion, the level of professionalism among the committee uh, ensures that any disagreement is never acrimonious. And the process, going back to your earlier question, Phil, the process is consensus driven. There is no master in the room or superior ego, which goes a long way to ensure that it is a collaborative discussion. And one final item of note is what we talked about before as far as the diverse backgrounds of the asset allocation committee members. That ensures that, well, it doesn't ensure, but it helps to avoid um, the notion of groupthink. Groupthink, that, that's a bad word in the collaborative uh, discussion. Well, groupthink is a peril to any investment strategy. How closely do you monitor the markets? Each member of the Asset Allocation Committee monitors the overall market and her his uh, speciality consistently. We also evaluate the strategies each day relative to the market and asset category movements. And Phil, this provides a valuable feedback loop um, during our intra-quarter meetings to ensure that the facings we have selected continue to work as they were intended. Do you ever make changes to your recommendations intra-quarter? Well, we do have the latitude to do so, but um, in practice, we've made intra-quarter trades only once, and that was um, during the U.S. Treasury downgrade in 2011, which was truly an extraordinary circumstance. So in that, from that notion, we really reserve it for what we would consider an extraordinary circumstance. One final question, Greg, on a personal note. Many analysts focus on the securities themselves. They, they follow individual securities, and that's the basis of their work. How did you arrive at the knowledge and decision that these broader asset allocation themes are where your interest lies? Well, okay. Without trying to sound too altruistic, when you sit back and, and look at what influences clients' financial fortunes the most, it's really where they position their assets. And consequently, um, if we do our jobs effectively, we improve the conditions of those who entrust their money to us. That, that could be daunting, but I wouldn't have joined the others in this effort if I didn't have the greatest confidence in our collective ability. And as a result, instead of it being daunting, I find it motivating. Thank you, Greg. This has been the Confluence of Ideas featuring Confluence Chief Investment Officer for Asset Allocation, Greg Elston. You can find links to Confluence Asset Allocation written reports weekly and quarterly under the research and news heading on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell sell any security. You can also find us on Twitter at ConfluenceIN. Our engineer for these podcasts is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.